Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hi, folks. Jason Roundsville here for the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm joined today with my co-host, Dylan Ray, and we have special guest Tom Nelson on the program today. Uh, Tom, as as you well know, has been a longtime bow hunter. He is the American archer, and he is a great ambassador for Pope and Young. So, Tom, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you very, very much, Jason and Dylan. It's good, good to be here. It's uh, we're we're so glad you could take some time for us. It's always a special treat for us to hear to hear some of the stories uh, of the things that that you've done in your time. So, how long have you been bow hunting? Oh my goodness! You know, um, about 45, 46, 47 years. I had to do some quick math in my head there, but yes, forty-seven years. I'm aging myself. Forty-seven years. That's. So there's some experience there. What was your first legitimate bow? The first bow you took an animal with, what was that? That's, I love that question because you're making me have to remember things. Uh, you know, I, I'd been shooting a bow since I was seven, but it wasn't until I, I was an early teenager that I really, you know, became raptured with the sport of archery. And the first, what I'm going to term real bow was a 58-inch, 45-pound Red Wing Hunter by Wing Archery. And and I saved and saved and saved all my money from mowing lawns and baling hay to buy that bow when I was 15 years old. And I, and I thought I was a real archer when I got that, by golly. Yeah. So you saved for a long time. And how much was it? How much was that first you know, bow? I'm trying to remember because I, I actually, I, I I was very fortunate. I grew up 
in a little town of Grand Ledge, Michigan. And in this town happened to be, at the time, the world's largest archery center. It was called Anderson Archery. And I mean, they had full-mounted polar bears and brown bears in there. And it was a mecca for, for, the, the, for bow hunters. And people would come from all over the U.S. to, to go to this archery shop. So I'd live down the country and I'd ride my bike into this archery shop and I would loiter in there for extended periods and I would <laughs> stare at the bows and at the animal mounts that they had in there. And, and it was, it, it, I was just fascinated with it. But I, I, you know, looking back on it, I probably paid 50, 60 bucks. I, I, I honestly can't tell you. All I remember is that I spent more on arrows than I did almost the bow because I, I did, I wanted everybody from what little, you know, I knew about the sport. I knew I wanted fiberglass arrows. So I bought a set of microflight number sevens. I even remember them. I wish I would have saved them and, and got a six, six uh, bare razor heads and six field points with them. But the, the arrows in that bow, it, it uh, changed my life, made, made me who I am. No question. Wow. That's fantastic story. You know, Tom, I want to, I want to, to make a note on that people i feel like people oftentimes overlook their arrows um they don't they don't put enough time time. they don't put enough time and thought into their arrow and in all reality your bow can shoot as good as it wants but that arrow is the only thing that actually makes contact with the animal so you better make dang sure that your arrow is tuned that your arrow flies good that your broadhead is sharp as can be because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that actually comes in contact with the animal. So yeah. quit worrying so you know, about and, what your bow looks like and worry about your arrow, <laughs> the thing that contacts the stinking animal. And that's such a true statement. And I'm amazed. I, I'm in dozens of hunting camps every year. But I'll, I'll, I'll be in a camp and a guy will be shooting a you know $1,200 bow set up, yet he'll have uh inexpensive set of arrows or, or and honest to goodness, I've seen guys with mismatched carbon arrows, aluminum arrows, or two different types yeah. of carbon arrows in their quiver. Absolutely. And I'm like, you know, you spend all this money on this bow, yet arrows, which are, you know, pr- pr- I'd rather have a really, really good set of arrows in a, in a mediocre bow than a great bow and a crappy set of arrows. Honestly, Bingo. that's, it's so one, important. One time, uh, I got two things I want to know. One time, uh, me and Jim Willems were talking about fill points or about uh, fixed blade versus mechanical. And he said, you know, I really don't have a problem with mechanical other than they have taken away part of the art of bow hunting. You know, when you shoot fixed blade broadheads, we have to sharpen them. We have to tune them. We have to make sure that broadhead flies perfectly. And, and so many people just grab a pack of of mechanicals, screw them on their arrows, never shoot them, never sharpen them, never do anything. And then they go out and try to harvest an animal thinking this is going to fly just like my field points. I don't have to worry about it. And it's resulting in a lot of wounded animals, a lot of, you know, never found animals. Um, Mm -hmm. But get this one time I worked at a bow shop in college. That's how I worked myself through college. And uh, I was a young married man and uh, got married in college. And my wife got real mad at me because I was spending more at the archery shop than my paycheck was. Um, (laughs) But we had a guy come in one time and he was shooting, like you said, a $1,200 bow comes in and he says, dude, this bow sucks. It keeps blowing up arrows. And we're like, well, what, what kind of arrows are you shooting? He's like, well, I'll go get them there in my truck. And he brought in wooden arrows and he was shooting it out of a 70 pound recurve that, you know, or a 70 pound bow that IBOs at, you know, 340. And we're like, oh my goodness, dude, <laughs> you're lucky you're still alive. Yeah, honestly, you're right. I mean, he could have easily rammed one of those arrows right through his forearm when he released when they broke. But God, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to say that's shocking hearing that story, but 
from all my years working at an archery shop before doing TV, I encountered many of those sort of episodes. So, you know, you'd like to think people were better educated than that, but it never ceases to amaze me when something like that arises. Jeez. Yeah. You know, but, but maybe it's a good thing they do. Or otherwise, what would we talk about? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> True. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just glad it wasn't me. So. Yeah. No kidding. You know, I, what, at a, a recent event that I was speaking at, they, we had kind of an off the cuff, um, the night before the actual banquet, uh, um, kind of impromptu meeting, um, gathering, I should say, where we were telling stories. And I ended up getting on the, the subject of archery impalements and, and rattled on for about an hour and other people shared their stories. And it was, it was kind of captivating in a way, but also a, a, a bit disturbing. But just it's, it's interesting how many people I personally know that have either been shot or had an arrow break and go through their forehand, you know, their hand or, or something to that effect or, a re, you know, drawn back their bow and their string breaks and uh, yeah. all you know, all kinds of events, but yeah. So your story about the guy shooting the wooden arrows and, you know, the bottom line is on that is basically he's very lucky that he didn't injure himself beyond repair. So we, we had a guy one time, we had a guy one time and he was a pitcher in the Card Cardinals organization. So he literally made his living off of his hand and, uh, and he came in and, and had his bow and I don't remember what we did to it, tie a D loop on or put a peep side in something, something real small. And uh, looked over his bow. Everything looked good. Arrows were spine good. Bow was tuned really well. And uh, we went outside, and he wanted to shoot it before he left. And so he knocks an arrow, and, and uh, you know, I witnessed this happen. So usually if this happens, we're like, well, you didn't knock your arrow all the way or, you know, something. I witnessed this happen, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what happened, but the arrow exploded, and it was an old Matthews bow, you know, the wooden grips uh, on the yep. Matthews bow. And... Uh, and the arrow, when it shattered, the the fill tip stuck in the wooden grip right above uh, his hand. Oh. And uh, and and he was all upset because his bow was blown up. He's like, "Oh my bow! You know what am I going to do? It's hunting season." <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, oh. that tip was centimeters from taking off your hand, and you're worried about your bow? I would just be thankful that my hand's not laying on the floor." And uh, but but yeah, man, it just goes to show you that that I mean, we can do everything right, but but those bows. You know, they got a mind of their own sometimes. Yep. Yes, they do. Along with the arrows. Yeah. I, you know, when I get done shooting, um, practicing here at, right, right at home or at the archery range uh, with the club I belong to, I, I, I'm always grabbing my arrows and running my hand down them. Almost habitually. I don't even realize I do it a lot of times, but just feeling for any splinters or cracks or anything in my arrow shafts and whether I'm shooting cedar arrows out of one of my stick bows or carbon arrows out of a compound, I, again, I'm, I'm just always conscious of what kind of condition my arrows are in. And I really inspect them, you know, prior to hunting season, you know, the ones that I, I, I personally pick and slide into my quiver. I, I want everything to be 100% with them before they get, you know, before I put them in there. Yeah. And everybody should. Yeah. Well, and it's that attention to detail that, that puts you at a, a level that most people will not get to. You know, a lot of people, if you're not, if you're not taught that, if, if you don't have a mentor or you don't have somebody to be around or even a good local bow shop to attend, you know, some of that you have to pick up through seeing people do it or, or having people tell you about that. Oh, ab absolutely. No, you're, you're correct. I mean, a lot of it's just, you know, trial and error, but also at the same time, it's always great to have a, a mentor or somebody, you know, that's, that's why I, I'm always 
you know, preaching, you know, join an archery club or, or, you know, your state bow hunting organization, just so you can, you know, place yourself amongst, you know, other peers, you know, that, that can pass on that knowledge or, or that you can pick up tidbits from. So, I mean, I, I've learned more sitting on the picnic table at our archery club when I was a kid listening to the old guys talk and then as far as about bow hunting, especially than than I ever did from any other means. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, back when you were younger, tell us about getting started in, in bow hunting. What was, we heard about your first bow. What was the next step? Yeah. Well, you know, it, so I, I, I already told the story how, you know, picking up that, that red wing hunter and such, but, you know, and then it was all about just, you know, trying to figure out you know, that whitetail puzzle as far as to, to bag a, a deer in my home state of Michigan. And, oh my gosh, looking back on all the mistakes I made and not paying attention to the wind and, you know, and, and on and on, but it, it, it all started coming about, but it, what really, really, really put, put me on the correct course was I, as I mentioned, I used to loiter in this archery shop in Anderson Archery all the time, spent a lot of time in there and just, you know, like any young kid, whether you're at a gun shop or a bow shop, just staring at everything. And, and so one day I'm in there and the owner of the shop who must've recognized me again, I'm in there all the time, came up and asked me, hey, Tom, do you want a job? And I said, yeah, doing what? He said, I needed a, I need a grunt. And I'm like, I'm your man. I had no idea what a grunt was, but it was basically he wanted somebody to sweep the floors, burn the papers, take care of stuff like that. So when I was between 15, I wasn't, I couldn't drive yet. So I had to still, must've been around 15. I started working there part-time at, at that summer. And then when school started, I, pl I played football and wrestled during school. So I worked around my sports and after school, I'd go over there and I graduated to spining arrows. I'd sit on a little stool in these great big box of a thousand Acme cedar shavs would show up and I'd have to put them on the spine tester and throw them in the correct bin. And, and, uh, so I'm making up this, this short story longer, but I basically started working at this archery shop and gleaning information from all these veteran bow hunters. And again, this, this was a huge store. You'd have to look it up just to appreciate it. But so I started, uh, um, on my course to becoming a bow hunter, my apprenticeship right there. And when I was uh, uh, on winter break from school, uh, in high school, I shot my first deer, which was a small doe, um, the day after Christmas. And it was, that was probably the most exciting moment of my life. I finally put everything together and got a shot from a ground blind because at that point in time in the, the mid seventies, uh, you know, tree stands were still, you know, kind of in their infancy, people were trying to figure out how to use those two. And, and, uh, I harvested that deer and I was elated and I thought, I thought I wasn't, but I thought I was a bow hunter at that point, but that that's really what put me on the map. I mean, those, those early days working at uh, the archery shop, oh my gosh, I, I gleaned it. Like I said, so much info and Intel, it, it was incredible and, uh, got to meet some pretty famous people too. Who's, who are some of those? You know, <laughs> I love telling this story, so bear with me. When I got my driver's license on Fridays, every Friday, as soon as I got out of school, and again, I, I grew up in central Michigan, my job was to jump in the store's van, panel van, drive up to Grayling, Michigan, and pick up bows from Bear Archery. And so 
I always volunteered for it because it was such a great, you know, I liked the road trip. Plus, oftentimes I'd run into Fred Bear himself. And Fred Bear was the best ambassador archery bow hunting's ever had and, and a true gentleman. I can't say enough about the guy. But he here I am, a 16, 17-year-old high school kid, and he would take me in his office, talk to me while we were waiting for the bows to be loaded, or a lot of times the order wasn't quite ready. And I was just captivated by the man. Uh, I remember one time when he he said, Tom, here, take some of these with you, and handed me a handful of bear razor heads. They were some new experimental ones that, they, that he was playing with. And here, take these and try them out. And I was so happy. I grabbed that and I shot woodchucks with them and all kinds of things. And to this day, I'm like, why didn't I save those, you know, and put them away? But I, I had very... Imagine I, that, I, getting broadheads yeah. directly from Fred Bear himself. From the man, yes. Oh, yes. But he, I, I spent many times, many days with him and a lot of hours. And he would come down to our archery shop. And uh, so I, I was very, very blessed. I, I wish I'd have taken more pictures of the two of us together. Luckily, I did some, but he was he was an awesome guy. Well, that was before everybody had a camera and phone in their pocket back then. <laughs> True. You said uh, you said you thought you were a bow hunter, but you weren't yet. Um, I'm interested to know what point did did you th- think to yourself, I, you know, I am a bow hunter, and this is who I'm going to be. This is part of who I am. You know, this is what I want to do. You know, I can I to answer that honestly, and not a plug for the club or anything, but I really firmly believe that when I joined the Pope and Young Club. I became a bow hunter, and yeah. I, I've i got a great story there. I mean, I, I like to shoot competitive archery, too, when I, especially when I was younger. And one of the things that a group of us at the archery club did every year is we went down to the Bow Hunters Nationals in Clinton, Indiana, which was a big, big deal in its day. Bow hunters from all over would congregate in that area and, and shoot their 3D range and, and such. And Fred Bear would be down there and a lot of the you know, uh, archery personalities of the time. And, and I was walking around down there and there was a guy in his station wagon backed up out in the parking lot. He had a card table set up and a chair and was sitting there. And I walked by and he said, Hey, would you like to be a member of the Pope and Young Club? The guy's name was Babes Stajonak, And he was from, I believe, Illinois, if I remember back then. But he's a Pope and Young member, and he was noted for showing up there and selling memberships. And I went up and talked to him for a while, and he explained the club. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a group of people that I need to associate myself with. This is where, this is who I want to be. This is where I want to go. And I was just impressed with his presentation. And I signed up, and that was in, I 1976, I think, 75 or 76. I'm trying to remember. That's terrible. But, but um, it, it was, it's when I became a bow hunter and affiliated myself with that group of individuals and started attending conventions. And I, I, I was just totally impressed with them. And again, like I said, with, with the ethics behind the club, the club's goals, what they stand for, what they do, I was all about it. And, and to answer your question, that's, when in my mind I became a bow hunter, you know, and, and that's that's Very the cool. problem. That's the problem with where we're at in bow hunting today, is is nobody finds pride in being a bow hunter. Everybody finds pride in what they shoot, how they shoot it, why they shoot it. You know, they're prideful in in 
whatever brand they choose or, you know, whatever group they belong to. But there's no pride that's simply just found in, I'm a bow hunter and I love bow hunting. Um, and, and that's part of, of what I believe is, is kind of the problem with the bow hunting society. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. You know, some of, some of the best bow hunters, you know, and what, how you want to decipher best is up to every, you know, everybody has a different opinion, but to me, some of the best bow hunters out there are guys that, and gals that have a small amount of species to their credit and, in, and not big numbers of animals, but they're the most ethical, some of the best bow hunters out there. And they're just guys that fly under, guys and gals that fly under the radar that, again, uh, really define what bow hunters are and such, more so than than, than others that, that are, are collectors at times. I, I like to use the term. So it's, uh, you know, being a bow hunter is what you put into it and and such, and, and there's a lot more to it than than just getting out there and killing animals. There, there, there really, Absolutely. really, truly is. Yeah, it's it's definitely a completely different experience. You know, I mean, I I talk to people, and it's like, well, you know, if you're rifle hunting for elk, boy, at 150 yards, it's it's pretty much game over. With a bow at 150 yards, you're you're still outside the ballpark, hoping to get a ticket for the show. Yep. It's just a completely different thing. You have to get in, you have to get close. And even when you're close, things have to be right. I mean, I've shot at a blacktail one time and there was a limb couldn't have been as big around as my thumb and I hadn't seen it, but all of a sudden out, out it jumps and deflected that arrow enough to cause me to miss that deer. And it just, it, it's things like that, that, you know, Everything yeah. has to, to go right. You have to know what you're doing, and, and a little bit of luck doesn't help along the way, too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. You know, in archery, bow hunting, I should say, was never made to be a long-distance sport. I mean, it's up close and personal, and that's that's really what drives me. You know, what gives me that passion for our sport is that getting in the, you know, within that animal zone, up close and personal, you know, like almost where you can smell its breath. I mean, that that's what drives me and that's what pushes me on on different hunts when things get tough. I, I, I like getting with, I always say, within that zone, that animal zone, you know, not being in a different zip code and killing. I want to be right there. I want to I want to be up close and personal. And that's why I, I love bow hunting. And again, it was never meant to be a game you know, a long distance game is made to be up close and personal. And that, and again, that's, that's why it, I'm passionate about it. And, and that's why I love it. Let, let's, let's tighten the bubble, um, on that animal, if you will. Uh, and, and what I'm asking, what the questions I might ask you might be stupid. Uh, but hopefully somebody else is asking the same questions or, or when they get the answers, it will, it will drive them to give it a shot. But, uh, you know, I'm currently trying to break into shooting a recurve. Um, mm -hmm. and, and my goal for next year is to not even shoot a compound, just a recurve, uh, mainly because I just want to be a man, you know? Uh, but that's my goal is to just shoot a recurve. Uh, so obviously I need to tighten that bubble a little more. You know, I can't, I can't shoot my recurve at 80. Um, and so I need to tighten the bubble even more on that animal. Uh, what's your best advice for somebody who, who is trying to make that switch and challenge themselves with that? And, uh, you know, I, I want to see that I want to be somebody who encourages people to try recurves. Uh, so maybe this will encourage somebody to get those answers yeah. and they say, Oh yeah, I could, I could, I'll give it a shot. Uh, so, yep. so what would you encourage somebody to do to, to, to break into that world? 
Well, first of all, I I I think all bow hunters, all archers should definitely take advantage of all the different you know facets of archery, whether it's traditional with a long bow or recurve compound. There's nothing wrong with it. I I own for my last count 20 27 longbows and recurves and wow. and and I I I I just like them it's just you know they're a, a lot of them are a work of art to me but I I just I I like them just like I love cedar arrows I I've got a compound hanging here that I'm looking at right now I mean and, and I shoot that I I like all facets of the sport and that's why I engage in them but if I if I were going to give anybody a word you know some words of advice especially you know you know going switching over to a recurve after or a longbow after shooting a compound or if you're just getting started with a with a traditional bow it's to to know your limitations start out close don't feel like you have to be shooting arrows at 30 and 40 yards get right up there I don't care if you're five yards from you get right up close and develop those skills, you know, learn to, you know, to release the arrow properly, you know, and, and basically develop, you know, skills at close range, 10 yards, 12 yards, and, and move back. And then keep, especially when it comes to bow hunting, know what your limitations are. Know what, you know, your effective kill range is with that equipment. And don't, don't go beyond it. You know, again, it's a close up close and personal sport and don't don't feel like you have to shoot 30 yards or 40 develop good shooting skills and that comes with time get up close get where your confidence builds up at close range start working your way back and when you get to where you're you know you're just not shooting that good group anymore that tight group call it say you know what my effective range is zero to 25 yards and if that's it stay within those parameters those those would be my words of advice for again, like I said, uh, somebody starting out in traditional archery, or somebody that shot a compound for years that wants to experiment and and try something new. And I encourage them to do so. Yeah, there's so many different aspects of archery. You know, compounds, recurves, longbows. You know, making your own equipment. There there's so many aspects of it. It's it's virtually endless. And th- this might be a dumb question too, and. And uh, I don't want to go a different direction than Jason wanted to go with the episode, but uh, we can make it a longer one if we need to. Um, what do we do? So, so I'm trying to be a, a pure instinctive shooter, um, which when I when I first started this journey, I thought I would gap shoot just because you know I grew up shooting compounds, so that made a little more sense to me. Um, but I want to be a, a pure instinctive shooter. Um, and so, you know, growing up, I played basketball my whole life, and, and if you go to shoot a basketball. You don't look at the basketball and line it up with the target with your the right. basket. You just look at the rim and shoot it. Um, yep. So, so when you're when you're when you're shooting a recurve, do you just simply look at where you want to hit and then yep, you know, instinctively you just I that, do. I mean, that's, yeah, yep. And it, you know, and I like you know your example, you know of of shooting a, a basket and it's a, you know, same with throwing a football or a baseball, you know, you're, you're not lining up with anything really, but you know, just, you know, whether you're throwing a baseball 10 yards or throwing it 20, you know, how much oomph to put on it. And it just, it comes with experience and, and it's just, so it's, you know, you, when you sit there and shoot and you try to have somebody explain to you, you know, how to, how to be a true instinctive shot. And that's, you know, and the other thing along those lines that you see all the time, 
how some of us, and I'm a struggler, I'll tell you, I, I have, I can't just like right now grab a bow off the shelf and go out there and pound that, that bullseye far from it. I, I have to, you know, shoot that bow just to remember how it performs and, you know, how like the arrows be from there, it. Jason. I feel like he's just being yeah, humble. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just it just <laughs> make it make me laugh but it's uh it just it just take takes a little bit but uh, again it's like you said it's an instinctive thing and it's something that you just have to practice and and i like that part of it you know there's nothing about traditional archery where you can hang that bow up and say you know what i'm going to pull it out tonight shoot two arrows and go bow hunting tomorrow or pull it out the day before season starts it's a it's a year-round activity that you have to marry yourself to and be devoted. And, and that's part of the magic behind shooting traditional archery. You know, you, you, you develop that relationship almost with your bow that, uh, that, that makes you a better shot and you become accustomed to it. So yeah. you get me, you're making me want to go out and it's snowing out right now, but you're making me want to go shoot my bow. You know, you need to <laughs> practice in all environments. Yes. Yeah. I, had a, I actually had a friend that, that started, archery uh this past year actually about a year ago i think last christmas and they were getting started and they said well what what can you tell me and i said well you, you need a better mentor but here's what i can tell you <laughs> is if you just shoot just go out and make a commitment to shoot three arrows a day and they're like okay yeah i can do that because if you do that very rarely are you just going to go out and shoot three arrows you're going to shoot three arrows and then you're going to pull them and shoot them again and and you get some repetition on but you get in the habit of doing it you know all the time so it's not once a month or right before the season because there's some people that do that yeah. and then gosh can't can't imagine why i wounded that buck and yeah. it's like well it doesn't take a whole lot to imagine why you know yeah. i i just want to and because I'll forget to bring this up later, but you just reminded me of something that I, I don't talk about too often, but uh, something I do as far as practice that I, I just want to pass on to our listeners. One of the things that I do, you know, I'll, I'll go out in the summertime and stuff and shoot, you know, for an hour or league night shoot. But when bow season rolls around, I, I do what I call a one arrow practice session. You know, when we're out bow hunting and that buck of, you know, comes by or bull, and that an opportunity arises, you, you there's no warming up, there's no practice. I mean, it's there. You got one opportunity. You better be able to take advantage of it when it presents itself. And in the same same goes for my way of practicing. I shoot one arrow a day during bow season, whether I'm in hunting camp or at home or hunting, at, you know, right here on our own farm. I I take my bow before I go out, and I tell myself, I look at that target, I say, this is it. This is your shot. There's no warming up. This is the, this is it. And I concentrate and tell myself, you know, this is it and shoot. And I don't care what happens. And I mean, if my bow blew up or something, I do take some action, but you know, I, I make that shot and, and I make it count. And again, it, it, I call it one arrow practice. And, and, and when I say that, I mean, if you want to take a shot in the morning, take another one an hour later, but, but don't go out and warm up, you know, shoot six arrows. Oh gosh, they're shooting. You know, that wasn't too good. I'll shoot again and again. Try to make yourself put that pressure on yourself. This is it. You know, you can't flip this done. up. You got to make it happen. And, and I've done that for years and years and, and I haven't, I can't take credit for it, but a, a veteran bow hunter who's no longer with us uh, at, at our archery club, used to stress that a lot and he got me doing it and he was he 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 actually was a 
a really good mentor for me uh, growing up as far as uh, bow hunting and archery. And, and that was one of the things that he always did. He said, shoot as much as you want in the summer, practice, 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 but put this pressure on yourself and just shoot one arrow and then put your bow away. And, you know, think about it. if you have screw up, go, what did I do wrong? You know, and make it better. You know, that leads me to a story back in the day. Um, and I'm not a golfer, nor have I ever been, but, uh, I'd go every once in a while, play golf with some of my buddies. And when you go to the driving range, you know, you get 40 chances to hit a good shot and it's like oh yeah hey i'm pretty good at this because i got you know two out of 40 where i wanted them then you actually go and when you only get that one shot like you're talking about you're like hmm that might have been one of the 38 i didn't get so it it does i can totally see where that would make a difference and i was actually going to uh i was actually going to bring up that point uh and then you did but the problem is is when when you go out and, and I like your comment, Jason, of go out and shoot three arrows, because what happens is when you go out and you shoot fifty arrows or eighty arrows, by the end of your shooting session, you're sloppy, you're tired, and you that's when those bad habits begin to form, and uh, and then you wonder why you're shooting so bad. And and man, I used to be the worst about it. You know, at the end of my shooting session, I'm shooting bad. I'm like, man, my bow's not sighted in anymore. Yes, it is. You're just <laughs> shooting. You're just shooting bad. Take a break. Go inside. <laughs> rest. That's so correct. Uh, you know, that very true statement. You know, and, and another thing, you know, I, I see that all the time, too. Guys get tired and gals when they're shooting and, and then they'll start going astray. Um, if, if you're ever in question, you know, put that bow away and don't do anything to it till, till you shoot it the next time. But um, another real key sometimes, if, if you're having trouble, is have somebody that's a good archer watch you shoot. Watch you see if you're dropping your bow arm, you know, how your stance is. And I, I t- once a year, I go see an archery coach, friend of mine, and I have him critique my shooting. And it's amazing over the, from, from one year to the next, uh, you know, he'll say, oh, you're doing this, you know, your stance. Hey, look at your feet. Look at your placement. Oh, look, look at, look at your bow arm, you know, look at your release. Where's your hand after you shoot, you know, and on and on. And it's just, it, it's really that one hour I spend with him is, puts me right back on track, but it's, it's, it's interesting how many bad habits you can develop in a short amount of time shooting by yourself, you know, just by yourself in your backyard or whatever. I really wish I could bring my recurve with me to Reno and have all you guys give me tips and tricks and pointers. And and like you said, just glean from people who are so much more knowledgeable than I am. Well, you better bring it because we're going to have the Pope and Young course there. (laughs) Bring it along. Last year, when we were talking about Virginia, I was we were talking about the Pope and Young course, which was brand new. The Mountain Archery Festival had just put that together, and we had just started telling people that we're going to have the the actual Pope and Young replica course not even just in virginia at the time but it was going to be on the hotel grounds to shoot and and i was talking to, to one person they're like D- are, are you really going to take your bow i was like absolutely man i'm gonna get i'm gonna go shoot at a world record of every species this is phenomenal and they're like but you're you're gonna shoot in front of all those other people and i'm like absolutely because i just might learn something so that's right well, I can yeah. promise you I'm not going to shoot that with my with my recurve. <laughs> I'm not I'm not yeah. there yet. You know what? I'll bring it along and just, you know, do some shooting with the guys, everybody. One thing, you know, that I have to say about the Pope and Young Club and its membership is it's just such a great group of individuals and they're they're individuals that like sharing information and helping and it if if 
any of the listeners out there haven't attended one of our conventions, oh my gosh, you don't know, you have no idea what you're missing. After attending my first one, I haven't missed one. They're just, they're, you gotta, you gotta go there. I mean, there's bow, bow, you know, elite bow hunters that, you know, that, that are idols to a lot of us that are walking around and they're just like you and I, and they're, you know, they'll, they'll talk with you and share stories and, it's just it's just such a great gathering. I, I I can't say enough about it. And one of the best things I ever did besides joining the club was attending a convention. And it's amazing how these guys just all they want to do is just sit sit around and talk about hunting and fishing and and just shooting their bow. Uh, yeah. People names that that everyone listening right now would recognize, and that you literally just sit down and have dinner with them. And, and that's what they talk about. It's really neat because it just it's an instant bond that you have with with folks. Some folks you've been been reading their articles or you've been watching their TV shows or or uh, things like that. It's 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 an amazing experience. And it's like you say, the the availability of of those folks to all the attendees to just have a conversation with is is really impressive. You'll get a kick out of this. Absolutely. Tom. Uh, Jim Willems taught me how to how to shoot. You know, he got me set up, um, what arrows I need and all that stuff. Well, then I had a conversation with uh, Harv uh, Ebers, and he said, listen, I know more in my pinky about recurve <laughs> shooting than Jim knows in his whole body. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I can hear that coming out of Harv's mouth, so I can appreciate that. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. So did Jim. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to say, you know, I'm sure Jim didn't take, uh, didn't see any malice in that statement because it's <laughs> no. probably true. He loves so. it. And J- Jim said uh, he probably does. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, what? Uh, here, here's a question I always like to to ask folks. What has been? Do you, you have a highlight from this season that that stands out to you? <laughs> you know, I actually do. I I and I didn't even have to think about it. We, um, my wife Beth is a is a Pope and Young member, regular member of the club, and, and an avid bow hunter, and probably without question my favorite hunting partner. Well, we were scheduled to, I should say, was scheduled to be out of state on a hunt, and at the last moment, my cameraman, I mean the night before we're leaving, my cameraman calls me and. COVID had raised its ugly head in his family and direct family, and. He was going in to be tested, and we made a quick decision on the phone that I'm not riding 15 hours in my truck with him. So we had to cancel out and reschedule the hunt. So I'm back basically at home with nothing else planned for that particular week. So like we do every day, my wife and I went, decided we'd you know do concentrate a little bit on hunting. Halloween was fast approaching, and um, we... We're out hunting, the two of us, and she was in one of her favorite stands on our place. And I was sitting in my stand thinking about I should be in Kansas, and I get a text from her. Oh, yeah, yep, we do carry our phones for safety reasons. So she she texted me and said, I just shot a buck. And I said, good, we'll, we'll just meet back at the house when we're done. And so I get back to the house, and she said, yeah, I shot a buck. I said, was it a, a good one? Uh, it, I, you know, because we, we have limitations on what we try to shoot here on our place and stuff. And she said, it, 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 it's a good one. She said, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's, you know, 
within you know our boundaries of, as far as uh, what we tried to shoot and so off we go after a couple hours just giving it some time and we come up on our her deer and it's a, a whopper and she she shot the biggest buck we'd had trail cam photos of all summer and stuff and it's that in her words she said this this is the first buck I've ever shot that actually grew the closer we got to him. And wow. it made my whole year because I would, I mean, I would have loved to have shot that deer, but my wife getting it made it all the sweeter. And it, so that, that was my highlight of the year. She was so humble to have done it and, and so happy. It just, it just made my whole season. And, and as I said, I, you know, I'm a big advocate, first of all, for women in our sport uh, of bow hunting and hunting in general. And, and so my wife, it, uh, it just, was extra special having her bag that biggest buck on our place in our neighborhood i should say and uh that anybody knew of so it it, it you'll see a she'll be entering it in pope and young here in another 30 days so it uh that made my whole year right there if nothing more happens that's a yeah, that's a great story and and she is such a sweetheart too i got to meet her in omaha and oh wow just so impressed just just wonderful lady so congratulations she, to her well Thank you. I'll tell her. And as I said, she's my favorite hunting partner and she, she loves to get after it. I mean, from a, a gal that had never shot a bow in her life to after meeting me and getting married, to, she took right to bow hunting, like, like a lab towards water, but, uh, she, it's, it's great fun. That's great. Now, did she pick it up right away, right when y'all got together or was, did it take her a little bit to get indoctrinated? <laughs> you, you know, she knew that I, I, I was a bow hunting fanatic. And I even remember when we started first going together, I told her, I said, now, if you survive bow season, I, I said, we might have a chance. I said, if there's, you know, this, this is what's going to make or break us is this next six weeks because I, I hunt every day and things. And by God, she, she made it through that period of time with no big, big issues. And so the, um, we were dating and she wanted to learn more about it. And so she actually would go out hunting with me. She, I got her some camos and I double hung some tree stands and she would sit up with me and we were out hunting one night and this buck came by and I shot it and it didn't even make it out of the field. And, and she, she, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because she was shooting a bow a little bit at that point. I'd gotten her a bow cause I, from the archery shop, and so she was flinging some arrows. But she turned to me, and I still remember this like yesterday. She turned to me and looked at me, and she goes, you know, I could have shot that buck. And I said, yes, you could have. <laughs> and awesome. so, yep. And so we started, you know, we made her up some hunting arrows, got her a license and stuff. And she, uh, she didn't get a deer that year, but her next year she got a, a deer. And then I, I honestly think she's probably taken a deer with her bow every year for over 30 years now. And she shot bear, antelope, mule deer, blacktail deer. I mean, she, she loves to bow hunt. So she gets after it pretty good. She loves to go with that, me. That's great. So if you had to go back, so that was from this year. So if you go back to the last 47 years of of throwing arrows around what is uh what is one of the highlights of your hunting career so far uh, if you had to narrow it wow ah uh, wow that's you know there's so many that's uh, to narrow it down is re you're really putting me on the spot here because i mean right now i'm running through all yeah. these different scenario hunting scenarios you know and i always always say you know that i put 
I guess I, I would rank my animals, the ones that mean the most to me, by the hardships endured, you know, in acquiring them, you know, certain oh, hunts yeah. that were brutal, you know, and I, I think of a particular elk hunt in Montana where um, things just weren't going right, and I was hunting hard, coming down to the wire, and I just was off on my own and, and uh, heard this elk bugle, and it was not prime time at all. It was mid-afternoon, and I made a move on him, and and uh, got in amongst all these cows and stuff, and I'm going, this is right down to the wire, and this is working, and, and called this bull in, and he and he came right, basically waltzed right in front of me, a big Pope and Young 6x6 six six bull, and and I arrowed him, and, and uh, he went down the mountain, busting branch and stuff, and I heard him crash and things, and I still remember waiting a little bit and walking down and seeing him there, and, and I got all emotional uh, at the moment because it had been a rough fall, and both in hunting-wise hunting and different things going on in my life, and, and just sitting there next to that bull and, uh, you know, thanking God, and, and uh, um, it meant so much to me, and, and then realizing, you know, now i got to get this guy out of here and everything, but that was, it was just one of those hunts, like I said, it was really tough weather-wise, and, you know, and elk hunts are physical anyhow, and, and just the, the whole accumulation there at the end and having it all, all come together you know, right, right in the, the final hours of the, the hunt, uh, it, it always sticks in my mind. I see the picture of that bull that hangs in my office and I, and I think about that, that hunt and, you know, how cold it was and, and again, the weather and the hardships and getting him out of there. But, uh, it just, it ranks real high up there. So that's gotta be one, one of my absolute favorite hunts. Very good. And how long ago was that? Probably 10 years ago now, okay. eight or 10. Yep. Very good. Yep, and I and I love elk hunting. I mean, I'll be honest. Being growing up here in the Midwest, whitetails are my passion. I mean, I I love hunting whitetails, but I I'm very passionate about elk hunting. I like the fact that we, you know, you get to call them and interact, and I like the physical part of it. I really do. I'm a runner, and uh, you wouldn't know it, but I do. Uh, that's my other hobby is running. When I'm, I like to run organized races and stuff. But I love the elk hunt. I like any hunt that's that's physical i i really do and that's again like i said that part part of the deal and what i attribute you know the uh, as far as um where i rank in animals the, again the hardships endured so i think about that a lot yeah see now now i'm not a runner but i'm the guy everybody calls when you have an elk down and you need to get it out because they're like hey some manpower who we, <laughs> yeah who can we put a hundred pounds on and, and you know they're still going to make it back to the truck not going to win any races but they'll make it to the truck so that's what you know, I get you're an important you. part of a, of any elk camp you're a very yeah. important <laughs> part i will the tell big you dumb animal yeah <laughs> oh golly you know i and real quick if we guys say i the other hunt is an elk hunt too that i just that's more recent, but uh, you bet. I, I, again, I, I will never forget it. And it, and it happened that one of our our members, and also this this guy, as you you know, you know, is a big contributor to the club, and that's Mike Parsons from Crow Creek Outfitters. Mike's oh, been a, a donor, wonderful supporter. Guy. But I, Mike is just going to Mike's elk camp and hanging out with Mike is worth the price of admission. But Mike had been trying to get me to come elk hunting with him for years, and and I have. Now, I've hunted with him several times, and, and phenomenal place to go, but just a phenomenal guy. But our last elk hunt, we'd hunted, we had close encounters, and we had laughed, had a great time all week, just just really ribbing each other and having, having good fun. And it was our last afternoon, and... 
you know, I was flying out the next day, heading back on another hunt. And, and we, we were just, we basically, we'd work this bull and it didn't work out. And we were walking back to the truck and we're walking down an old logging road and we're, we're talking, you know, not at a loud voice, but we're just blah, blah, blah. And, and again, working our way back to our truck, just to get there before dark. I didn't want to shoot anything too late. And, and as we're walking down, we hear a bull bugle. And we look at each other and go, that's not very far. So we kind of hoof it down a little farther. And we look up the mountain and you can see this bull and he's coming on the trot. And we go, oh God, Mike, go quick, quick, let's go down here. And so we quick tried to get down where we thought he was going to come down the mountain at. And as and we're not going to make it. We're not going to be there. We're not going to be able to cut him off. And un, you know, unbelievably, he kind of hooks and starts coming our way. And we stop and we're standing there. And here comes this bull, you know, a decent five by five, comes trotting right out there. I stop him. I cow call. I stop him. He stops at 30 yards. I arrow him. He runs down the mountain towards the truck and, and keels over. <laughs> we're, we're, the truck's 20 yards from him. And, nice. and, and it's like, that never happens, especially to me. My bulls always yeah. die down in some hellhole someplace that's going to take 24 hours to get them out. But it was just Mike and I looked at each other and we just we just cracked up. I mean, it was just big hugs and stuff. And I'm like, this this never happens. And it was it was it was the last hour of the last day again. And it was like it was a gift. So it, it, uh, it really stands out as one of my favorite hunts. A lot of it is because of the people I was with. I mean, hanging out with Mike for a week was, yeah. was priceless. And that was the one time Jason was not needed. I know two things there. Number one, if you get an elk within a hundred yards of your truck with a bow, then that should be on your top 10 list. And the other thing <laughs> is, you know, Mike uh, over there, if, if uh, any of our listeners are looking for a chance to hunt with him, he's actually just put together a hunt for our big dream raffle, which is kicking off uh here in december i think we're going to kick that raffle off so if you want a chance to go hunt with him and and it's a great great raffle we've got a choice of an elk hunt with mike we've got a choice of a moose hunt a muskox and a mule deer so um just just a real good opportunity there to make somebody a very very happy winner and happy hunter yeah, and that's a and great all, camp i can't say enough of it it's it's a great yeah. place and he's so good to work with every time we we call him up and, and ask him, he's like, Hey, you know, for, for Pope and young, absolutely. We'll, we'll do something for you guys. So, uh, which we one, appreciate his would, support. Which one would you choose Jason? Oh man. Are those four, you know, I, I, uh, boy, I like the, uh, elk hunting is, is pretty special. I really enjoy elk hunting. Um, but there's, you know, there's something about a big old mule deer. That's, that's pretty neat. And, and muskox is just so foreign to me that that would be something that would would definitely be on the list. And I, I, I honestly, I don't know because moose is probably at the top of that list. So I just, I don't know. It probably depends on the mood I was in at the day. How about you? Which one would you go for? <laughs> I would have to go moose, man. Like you said, it's at the top of my list. Um, you know, it's the most, at this point in my life, it would be the most, well, muskox would be the most out of reach probably. but. Um, out of the three that I would want to hunt at this point in my life, that's probably the most out of reach. So to, to win it on a raffle, you know, that, that would probably be what I chose. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Which one would you go with? Well, muskox is fun. I've done that a couple times and, uh, 
it's a more of an experience than a hunt. I mean, staying with the, the Inuits and just enduring the hardships of that hunt is something else. Uh, but I would have to say either the elk or moose. I love the calling aspect. That's, I just I like interacting with animals like that. So I, I, I would have to go with either the elk or the moose hunt. I love moose hunting. That's another, I rate that right up with elk hunting. That's always great fun. So probably one of those two. Okay. And and you can't go wrong with the table fur on either of those. No. They're just yeah, phenomenal. So what is uh what is Tom? Here's something we like to ask everybody. And it's when you're getting ready for a hunt, when you're prepping for this thing, or when you're in the back country, what is one thing that would be a considered a non-traditional item that you can't live without or you need to make sure that you have on your trip? Besides earplugs, you know. Besides earplugs, <laughs> clearly you you stayed in a cabin with some other guys before. If you need earplugs, uh, honestly, I've stayed with professional snorers, guys that snore for a living. Yeah. I'm quite sure. I, that's that's uh, you know when you're in a remote uh, camp. I'm thinking of a of a plywood cabin. Uh, I can't. I know. Let, let, let me rephrase that. A plywood shack. We stayed in in British Columbia on a mountain caribou hunt one time and. Everybody was a snorer in that. There were six of us jammed into this little <laughs> twelve by twelve cabin, and they took snoring to a whole new level. I mean, it was brutal, and and I still remember stuffing, you know, the the earplugs. Thank goodness I'd learned a long time ago to take earplugs with me. But that was that was uh, like I said, a whole nif- different level of of snoring. But um, non traditional, something that I take that isn't normal. Um, you know, I. I I always carry a journal and journal every day, but as far as an item-wise, I'm just trying to think. I have minimized so much, Jason, that you know a lot of things that that aren't essential. I just don't take. I've I've weeded down you, you know that a lot. But um, Tom, I think I think I'll, let's stick with the earplugs. I like that. That kind okay. of fits with our theme, and I think that's great. It's one of those things that that maybe you don't think about bringing on a trip but boy when and we've all been at that camp where there's nothing you can do to drown that that noise oh out. yeah and you know in a lot of those hunts sleep is at a premium i mean uh, i think of different hunts i've been on where you know you're averaging three hours sleep a night and if you can't if you can't sleep you do a couple days you know being up 24 7 and you you definitely aren't going to be a sharp uh, you know, while afield as you would be if you were getting, you know, some, some sleep, you know, your archery accuracy, your, your stamina, you know, you're just, me- you know, mentally, you're just going to be messed up. And I've been yes. there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny as my dad for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, 10 years has had to have earplugs every single night, even at home because my mom snores so loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, it, and I'm, I'm one of those guys. I like it completely silent when I fall asleep. I mean, whether I'm here at home or any place, I mean, the quieter, the better. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, I've been in camp with guys that have to have a noisemaker of some sort. Recently, I was in camp with a guy that had this little machine and it made like a waterfall type noise and, and stuff. And I thought I was never going to get to sleep, even with my earplugs. You know, he's got this plugged in next to his bunk and I'm like, oh my God, that's going to, you know, and what do you say? Hey, can you turn it, turn that off? Cause he said, that's the only way he can sleep. And it just right. uh, always makes it interesting. I've I've went as far as to being in a tent with guys, pulled my sleeping bag out, went down and slept on the beach of a lake 
and just trying to get some sleep, letting the mosquitoes pound me all night rather than oh. stay in that tent. I mean, uh, I, another time I went and left my little shack and, and because of snores and went and, and uh, there was no heat in it at the time. And, and this was a late season hunt and slept on, in the cook, cook shack uh, on the floor just to, uh, you know, get away, get away from the snoring. But I have a good pair of industrial strength earplugs that I take everywhere I go. And uh, they, they saved the day. That's okay. Well, we're, we're going to put that on our list. So Dylan, make a note of that. And uh, Dylan's mom, sorry about his comment. Just for the record, my mother is an <laughs> angel and would never even dream of snoring just so everybody knows. But, uh, well, Tom, we, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And, uh, I, there, there's so many more stories. I can just tell there's, there's a dozen more stories I'd love to hear about, but, um, maybe, maybe you'd consider coming back with us another time and, and rounding out that top 10 list. Okay. I'd love to, well, thank, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much, um, for everything for coming on today for everything you do for bow hunting. You are a phenomenal ambassador to the sport. You're a phenomenal ambassador for the Pope and young club. Uh, I appreciate you. We appreciate you and uh, continued luck out there this fall. Thank you so very much for being here with us. Thank you guys.